you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando. Of course, uh, Mike Squires from Duff McKang is loaded, providing us with the intro. Still so cool. He might be doing some other projects uh, for me soon. So, I don't know, maybe he's my BFF. I don't know if he'll ever admit that, but I like to think that we're best friends. Uh, and that's I'm sure that's what me and uh, Eric Valentine and I, we're going to be best friends uh, after this episode. I'm sure we're going to bond over over something. Uh, so, That's the plan. Yeah, that yeah. is. The, yeah. So that uh, welcome to episode uh, sixty-three. If you listened to the last episode sixty-two, you may know I'm recording this back to back in real time. Yes, as a podcast, but I try to be as real and honest as and in the moment as possible. Uh, but uh, Eric and I have been kind of in in contact for a few months for a, a, a bit but uh there was a reason why we we've, we've waited a very good reason so i i got to say first and foremost congratulations on your your new baby boy right oh uh, well thank you it's it's an incredible new world for me this is you know um first kid being a dad yeah, yeah first kid being a dad for the first time Mazel tov. um you know it is it is all of the clichés that they say it's totally totally mind-blowing in every way i mean we um we ended up having having the birth at home so oh wow you know in in our bathtub at home which was just unbelievable and uh you know um mom is just incredible she's just a total warrior goddess to be able to pull that off it's really awe-inspiring to see and um and you know now we have this amazing little little human being, hmm. um, this little boy named Sagan. Sagan and, after um, Carl or no? Uh, yes, after Carl. Not science <laughs> yeah. man, love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely uh, showing my my nerd my nerd roots here. <laughs> nerd alert! I have sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Good we'll, timing. We'll be able to use that a lot with me on the phone. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's been incredible. He's he's just amazing. You know, the, these early months are, you know, I think probably some of the most extraordinary parts of the experience because they change so much so quickly every few days. It's mm. like, oh, wow, he's, he's, you know, doing something new. He's seeing things there. He's more engaged. He's, you know, more aware of his surroundings. It's really, really incredible. Incredible to see. Well, so, so yeah, yeah, no, very happy. Awesome, congrats! And uh, if I'm, I guess it's public knowledge, so it's okay for me to say your your wife is a famed singer, Grace Potter. Indeed, that that is my wife. I'm I'm a very lucky guy because uh, she's an amazing human being. You know, not not just an incredible singer, but um, just you know the most wonderful human being I've ever met. And um, you know, we're we're having an incredible time. Just sharing our lives together and making music and making a baby and 
doing all this stuff. It's just, it's just been incredible. What a household that kid's going to grow up in with music playing uh, everywhere. So I guess that's what we're going to get into. Like, you know, what kind of, because you've worked on so many different projects. I mean, I don't know if, if Grace is going to play her own music. I don't know if it, any of the bands that you've produced. So, you know, on the phone with us, if I, I don't know if I introduced properly yet, but uh, Eric Valentine, which you said is official now, right? Because your, your, yeah. your name was Eric da- uh, Dodd or Dowd? Yeah, it, it was, I was, you know, given the name Eric Dodd, and when I was 17 or 18 years old and, uh, you know, getting into being in a rock band and wanted to be a rock star, I thought the name Eric Valentine sounded a lot cooler to me, and so I just started using that as a teenager, and then I ended up just being sort of stuck with it, because it was sort of my only cr- real credit in the world was uh, having worked on my band's record, the, the band T-Ride. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I ended up just sort of sticking with it, and uh, and so finally, now that you know, <laughs> we're we're we we have a family and we have a son, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna you know I finally made it official, so I'm officially Eric Valentine now. All right. And um, and so my my son's name is uh, Sagan Potter Valentine. <laughs> wow! If that kid is not gonna grow up to be a superstar, I mean, he's tailor made for it. <laughs> Unbelievable! That's... Yeah, he's, he he already blows me away every day. He's he's a, he's a superstar every day for us. For uh, that, sure. So that's that's so cool. So I don't know if um because they they make the the uh, the the kid like lullaby music with Guns N' Roses. I think they have a Valentine uh, Van Halen version of that. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You you've worked on so, with so many different bands just to to introduce you. I mean, I got a lot of. Uh, fan questions for you. So GNR fans know who you are, uh, but you because you worked on Slashes and you produced Slashes uh, solo record, the first one with all the the different lead singers. What a great record that is! We're going to get into right. that. But you've worked with uh, bands like Good Charlotte, uh, Taking Back Sunday, who are from my hometown, Long Island, uh, Queens of the Stone uh-huh. Age, Third Eye Blind, Smash Mouth, All American Rejects. I mean, that's only a part of your of your resume. So where does the well, let's just say, so we're not confused, I would say, you know, where's the Eric Valentine? You know, even though you weren't Valentine back then, uh, where does that story start for you? Uh, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in Northern California, um, what was just a sleepy little town called uh, Palo Alto, which has now become sort of the the mecca of tech world. And, um, uh, you know, I, I was into music very early for some reason. I, I don't, I really don't know why, but by the time I was four or five years old, I, I was a hundred percent sure I was, I, I had to be a drummer and I was going to play rock music. I really wanted to be at the time. I wanted to be Mickey Dolans from the monkeys. The monkeys. Sure. And, um, and so it really started there. And, uh, so I got an early start playing drums and was, was really quite committed to it. I, I, you know, practiced a lot and started taking lessons when I was really young. And by the time I was in school, you know, I, I had a I had a pretty good head start on most of the folks that you know were interested in music. I'd already been playing for a few years. And um, were your parents an influence in, on you? Is, is that because you said you didn't know where it started? Did your parents play music around you? Were they musicians at all? No, n- neither of them are musicians. No. All right. And um, and uh, and so then you know I kind of learned other instruments along the way. Um, drums are a pretty dreadful solo instrument. So um, hmm. you know I I picked up guitar. My brother was learning how to play guitar, and we played in bands together while while we were growing up. And you know I was playing in bands when I was twelve. I was playing playing in bands with you know guys that were you know seventeen, eighteen, or even twenty years old. And that that ended up being sort of the you know 
the way things went for me. Even when I when I joined the band T Ride, I was 16 years old, and the singer in the band was 24 years old. Hmm. Um, and so I, I I just got an early start, you know. And um, I also very early on got interested in recording. You know, um, I was definitely around a lot of nerdy technological stuff. My dad um, was an aerospace engineer, and so he used to take us to where he worked, and I would see all this amazing, you know, electronics and rocket stuff. And um, and so that that part of it was always kind of interesting for me as well. And uh, so early on, I started to figure out how to make recordings at home just with a home stereo. We had two home cassette decks, and I could, you know, record one part on one cassette deck and then play that back and play something along with it with a little mixer and record it on another cassette deck. And then I could overdub and start making songs. And so that was sort of my first, you know, experiences figuring out how to record things and build songs, recording, recording music. And, um, it just progressed from there. Eventually I got a, um, a Tascam 244 Porta Studio, a little cassette four track, and was just recording everything, recording my own songs, recording friends bands in school, um, and then when I was 16 and, and joined the band T-Ride, we, we um, ultimately ended up building our own studio. We, I, I joined that band to record a demo that was being produced by a really amazing uh, guitar player, this, this guy, Ronnie Montrose. Um, you know, that was oh, sure. from, from the band Montrose and, you know, started, started early on with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. A really cool guy. He was in, he was in Northern California and, and, uh, took an interest in the band and recorded a demo for us. And, um, despite his, his efforts and generosity of time, it, the, the demo did not really come out the way we wanted. And so we realized, and, and it was expensive, like having him record stuff. It was like $5,000. It was just all the money we had in our life. And um, when that process ended and we realized, like, this is not really what we want, um, we, we, we thought we could have bought equipment and, you know, made this recording and, and then be able to keep recording stuff. And so that's what we decided to do. We, we just started building our own studio and recording everything ourselves. And, you know, a, a two or three more years of doing that, um, our demos got good enough to get signed and we signed to Hollywood Records and uh, made our first record. We convinced Hollywood Records to give us the entire album budget so we could just upgrade our studio equipment. And, uh, you know, I recorded and produced the record. And um, and then from there, you know, everything sort of exploded from there. Um, you know, T-Ride sort of ran its course, and, and I, I just, you know, realized that I was really mostly interested in recording. And so I, I continued doing that. And uh, with the equipment that we had gotten from from the record deal, and then eventually I met up with Smash Mouth and Third Eye Blind and made their first records, and 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 that's when everything really changed. But um, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I you know got started in it. It's hard to pinpoint like what your first break was since you were so young. Would you say when when Ronnie Montrose found you that that was the maybe the catalyst to this great career that you've had, or can you pinpoint any moment where like, this is going to be my career. I can be successful at it. Well, I think, you know, when Ronnie Montrose, um, found the band T-Ride, um, you know, my focus was really on being a drummer and being, trying to be a rock star. 
And and it was an important experience for me because we, we made a record. It was a very ambitious record. And I think it was a really cool record. We went and toured on the record, and I realized that the the touring part of it was not as fulfilling for me as making the record. The record-making process was what was really, really incredible for me. And and so just, you know, recognizing and realize, realizing that was, was really important. And so that I don't think that was the pivotal moment. It was it was helpful for me to understand where I really wanted to focus my attention. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, ultimately after that, you know, the band was broke and terribly in debt. And I, I was just recording anybody and anything just to kind of pay off our debt and keep things going and keep trying to improve as, uh, you know, a recording engineer and producer. And it was really when I crossed paths with, um, Smash Mouth and Third Eye Blind. And so I started recording demos for those bands. Ultimately, they both got signed. They both put out records in the same year, around the same time. Both had um, number one radio hits around the same time. So there was a song called Semi-Charmed Life, mm-hmm. and there was a song called Walking on the Sun sure. that at one point were literally competing for number one on the radio. And I had done nothing before that and um unbelievable yeah and that that really was unquestionably the moment that changed everything like my my phone was ringing off the hook with like producer managers like where's this eric valentine guy we got to sign him and you know like it was just it was totally surreal bizarre it was it was very odd for me because i had been doing things the same way for a couple of years you know leading up to that and you know, so much of it is just timing. It's just happened, you know, the the luck of being in the right place at the right time and, and hooking up with really talented folks like, like Smash Mouth and Third Eye Blind and and having it all connect in that way. I mean, I you know, I still do things very similarly now. You know, I don't I don't approach them wildly differently now. Um and uh it just it I was I was just lucky. Right place, right time and you know, the way things work in the record industry, pretty much any time my phone rings for somebody to hire me to, to work on something, it's because my name is on a record, so, you know, at some point before. And, um, you know, so it's it's a little bit of a catch-22. You don't get those calls to do those records if your name isn't already on a record. So it's like, how do you how do you get your name on that first record, you know? And, um, and, you know, it, it definitely just takes some, some luck. So, and not just for, yeah. cause you're mentioning that's, that's my, the soundtrack to my high school, Third Eye Blind and Smash Mouth, you know, and I'm learning right. yeah. and to have that happen so early in your career. And I mean, I don't know if you can even describe it more than other than just than surreal where, you know, did you think it was maybe it was, a a flash in the pan, not like a, maybe I want to, like, maybe this is like a one-time opportunity, well, I guess t- two-time opportunity, or did you think that it would last? Did you ever imagine where you are now with all the, the, the bands that you've worked with and the artists you've worked with that are you still pinching yourself, you know, uh, maybe that it wasn't just luck. That's where I'm going. That it wasn't just luck. That there obviously your, your talent well, is, is involved too because you wouldn't be consistently getting hired just because you have a really cool name. You you have to be good at what you're, you have to be good at your job <laughs> too you know such a cool last name yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, well you know so I, I definitely I, I've worked very very hard um, you know until more recently um, you know I 
this is just all I've ever done. You know, I, I would go into the studio every day and be in the studio for 12, 14, 15 hours every day. And it's just what I love to do, you know. And so uh, I think that does make a difference. You know, there there is a luck in having a door open in front of you, but you, you do have to be able to walk through it. Right. And um, and so, I, you know, I think I've, the, just the, the hard work and effort that I've put into it allowed me to walk through doors when they did open in front of me. But, um, you know, I, I was pretty naive after the, that first experience of like, wow, this is great. It's easy. I just record stuff and then it goes to number one and everything's <laughs> great, you know. Because um, both of those bands did did so well on their first records, and, and as I did more and more stuff, um, you know, just like anybody's career, whether you're whoever, you know, Mutt Lang or, you know, Glenn Johns or whatever, like everybody has had stuff that does does well and and is incredible and timeless and amazing. Not not that I've done anything remotely as timeless or amazing as either of those guys, but. Um, but they've also have stuff they've done stuff that you've never heard of. It just didn't connect, you know, mm. and, um, and that ha- that's happened to me plenty as well. You know, there's stuff where you, you get involved and you're like, wow, this is incredible. I think there's a great singer. It's going to be awesome. And you make a whole record and either it doesn't come out at all or, <laughs> you know, or they try really hard to make it happen and nothing really happens, you know? And, and so that was, you know, important for me to learn as well along the way that, um, uh, you know, those first two experiences, it's not always like that. You right. Know, yeah. Cause was, business can, is very competitive. It can be really tough. And so. can easily, you can easily be spoiled and just thinking that, like you said, this is easy. I can make a hit record every right. time. So to have that yeah. humility, I think is good because that's only going to drive you and, and make you work hard. Cause if it's easy, some people just, I don't know, kind of kick back and, you know, just yeah. think that, you know that it's it's just not as difficult as they they should make it or want to make it. So uh, it's it's just been really cool to to, to learn about this because I had a I learned about you like going backtracking. I mean I know of course I've known all of these records that you've been a part of and these bands you've been a part of, but right. when Slash put together that record, you know when you know the GNR reunion was a joke like you were thinking that this is never going to happen you know not in this right. lifetime when it was not just the name of a tour when axel actually said it and i'm looking like yeah. who, who's not just who are the singers on this album but who put this together who put this monstrosity a monstrosity together and then learning more about you you know doing research for this interview i'm like oh my yeah. god look at all these these great artists and bands he's worked on no wonder i liked them all it's the same guy working on all these records so it it is a testament to to you, and uh, no, and this also includes some of the questions I got for you. There are people talking about obscure records and bands, and people wanting to know about uh, T Ride. So, you know, you seem to have someone who has had success early on that you're still pretty humble. That's what I'm getting across from you now, which is pretty great. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I'm I'm nothing but grateful for the experience that I've had. I mean. You know, sure, sure, I've worked hard, and and uh, but I also say like I've never worked a day in my life because it's just too fun. You know, like even if I was getting paid nothing and nobody was ever hearing any of it, I'd still come in and do it fifteen hours a day every day. Hey, you know? I'm not getting paid for this podcast, and I've been recording like for fucking like five hours already. <laughs> you know, back to back episodes here. So no, I understand like the love and the passion. Uh, 
you know, yeah. taken over that, at some point. That, that is that is really the key to, to truly being happy. It's just is really finding the thing that 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 makes you happy to do and just you know and just do it. And um and and so you know I'm just I'm just incredibly grateful for all of it. I'm grateful you know for all of the the talented folks that have invited me into their creative worlds and. You know, I'm really grateful to have been able to start this when I did, like in the late 80s and early 90s, when there was still, you know, a really vibrant music business to, to plug into. You know, it's it's really, really different now. And I, I have, um, you know, um, I still have a studio in Hollywood. I have a studio in Topanga and I have people that assist and work here and are up and coming, really wonderful, talented folks. And I'm watching them go through this process of, trying to make that connection with the right band and get things going and, you know, and make a living and being able to, you know, pay to live in Los Angeles. And it is really hard now. It's super hard, (laughs) way harder than when I was growing up, you know, Um, because there's just no, there's way, way, way less money to be had. Mm. And, um, and it's, there's a certain point where you just simply can't afford, like I can't, you know, there's, there's folks that are like, they just can't afford to pay for a place to live and eat, you know, at, while they're trying to sort of nurture a career as a record maker. Um, so I'm, I feel very fortunate to have done it when, when I did, you know. Do you have any, because I know you still obviously play and you contribute uh, musically on a lot of the, the records that you produce, but do you still uh-huh. have any uh, rock star dreams? Because that's what you, you know, why you changed your name. That's why you got into the drums to be a rock star. I mean, you're a rock star producer. You're a rock star in, you know, and I'm, I'm, so I'm talking like in the literal sense of what people can like look at as a rock star. Do you wish that you were a famous drummer as opposed to this famous producer? Is there any of that? Or you just are, you know. I- I I don't think so, and and I, you know I did have enough of an opportunity to experience a little bit of that. Um, I experienced a little bit of it with T Ride, and then when Smash Mouth record came out, um, I went on tour with them, um, playing keyboards actually with oh, them, cool. and um, you know did like three or four months of touring with them because they they didn't have a keyboard player, and, and I played keyboards on their first record, and. It was very clear to me. It was like, this is cool. I get it. You go one, two, three, four, and you play the song, and people go yay, and then <laughs> drive to another thing, and then you go one, two, three, four, and you play the song again. And I, it was just too repetitive for me. I, I mm. it, it's it wasn't the thing for me. And um, there's there's something about the marriage of. Um, the creative process and creating something that has, you know, that communicates emotion and marrying that with the technology in order to get a result. There, there's something about that that I find particularly interesting and fascinating. And it's, you know, whole thing of when you're recording something, capturing it in a way where, um, the drums have a particular explosive quality and feel really energized and powerful and they make you feel something. And it's a result of where you put the drums in the room and how you, you know, mic it up and how you compress it and EQ it and apply a little bit of distortion, all these little things that get a result that has an emotional effect on the people that are listening to it um, when it comes out of the speakers. And that marriage between technology and the creativity of communicating emotions is is what I find just irresistibly fascinating. And the the live performance a part of it 
you know, didn't really allow me to, you know, express the, my, my nerd side of, of being able to tinker with, with gadgets and stuff. And so right on. it didn't, did, just, just didn't do it for me. Right on. No, that's, that's a great answer. And I'm glad you were able to, you know, go that route. Because as you mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, right time, right place, right era, and that it's just worked out for you. Um, I yeah. went, before I don't, I would be remiss because we were uh, just mentioned about how you know despite all your successes sometimes things don't work, uh, and so I have great listeners. Uh, some of them just like send me like a bunch of questions like they're like my mini producers somehow. So I want to uh-huh. give um, I'm going to sp- kind of spread out these these questions that uh, Jeff Otto from uh, Odo uh, I forgive me if you're not getting it right Jeff from Connecticut gave me so okay. b- so before I, I forget he uh, he goes I'm a huge fan of an obscure album Eric produced by a band called Cinematic. Uh, so were you dis- okay, yeah. yeah? So were you disappointed that they didn't break through? And what do you think of that album now? So while we're in the the topic of you know some misses, uh, what do you, what's your response to that? Sure, yeah. I mean that that is a great example of one of the projects that I got involved with that had I thought had tremendous potential. Um, there was uh, okay. This is a while ago, so I'm 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 gonna have to try and jog my memory, make sure I remember all of this correctly. No, all good. Um, and you have daddy brain right now, so I'm sure you're all all of it. Right, place. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there there was um, a guy named Ken who was the lead singer in the band, and I, I, he was just a very cool, visionary guy. And um, the songs I thought were, you know, equal parts just cool and edgy, but also very memorable and had an immediacy to them. And I just thought they were really a great band. And I I was, you know, thought this is, you know, there's no way this wouldn't work. And um, so, you know, so we made a record together. It was, it was in an interesting time when um, I was making the transition from Northern California to Southern California. I was moving to LA and I was sort of in limbo. Uh, I wasn't able to work out of my studio in, in Northern California. And um, so I was bouncing around studios in LA recording and trying to finish this record. And um, so there was things about that that were kind of challenging, but, um, but ultimately, um, you know, I thought we made a really cool record and it just didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen. And uh, you know, that, that band, it was like, a cross between in excess and, you know, at times almost like Radiohead influences. The I was just about was, to say that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, was really into Johnny Greenwood and Radiohead stuff. And, you know, I think it's a really cool record. But um, Well, so does Eric. <laughs> or Jeff, sorry. <laughs> so does, so does yeah. Jeff. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then on the flip side, because he asked this, you know, uh, Jeff uh, from Connecticut, who's my, uh, I guess, co-producer on this episode. Uh, when you were making songs for the deaf with Queens of the Stone Age, did you know that No One Knows would be such a monumental song? I mean, that's still played everywhere. Um, and they had yeah. been out for a while, so you you knew? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they they had already done their first two records at that point. Right. Um, yeah, because uh, the the self titled and rated R were already out, and I had ha- I, you know I had connections to them through other stuff. The the bass player Nick Oliveri at the time, mm-hmm. um, he 
was also in a in a hardcore punk band called the Dwarves that I had recorded a bunch and worked with a bunch. And so in the Dwarves, his name is Rex Everything. And um, so I, you know, I had connections to to Queens through through other stuff. Um, and uh, they're um, you know they they were always a really cool band. Um, and there were definitely some you know some some key songs and and no one knows i think for everybody was was very immediate um when we were working on it it was very exciting um i think you know on that project um uh that song was a real standout for me um i thought uh let's see what was one of the other ones uh, there was another one that I actually thought was going to be a more important song on the record. And th- they ultimately ended up a- using a version of it that I didn't think was as good of a representation of the song. Um, and it was Do It Again. Okay. I-, I thought Do It Again was going to be a-, a more important song for the record. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, there was so much cool stuff in that record. And and that project in general, at least from the band perspective, um, is, was never really about like they're, they're, you know, Josh was never really driven by what's going to be a radio song. Or, I mean, he's not driven by anything other than, you know, what he thinks is going to be cool or not, you know? And, um, he actually had, uh, one of his sayings throughout that was, because I, I guess, you know, people hear a lot about what their fans want, um, what band, you know, they've done records in the past and there were particular songs in the, on previous records that, you know, were standouts that, that people were really into. And um, and so sometimes you would hear from the record company and say, like, your fans really love this. And his response was, fuck the fans, hmm. straight up, just fuck them, because they're not here to tell me what kind of music to play. I'm here to make fucking cool music for them to listen to. And so fuck them. <laughs> I mean, it was so stark. And I, I think there's actually a lot of value in that, you know, it's like, and, and I think there's an aspect of that that's, that's wonderfully honest because if you end up just sort of falling down this path of just giving your fans what, what they want, which is really based on, can only be based on what you've already done. Mm-hmm. Um, then there, it just really limits, you know, how you, the vision that you can have for your band to evolve and grow and continue to bring your fans exciting new stuff. You know, you just caught, you get caught in like a feedback loop of your own shit. So yeah, no, uh, I, I get uh, it. I, I mean, it's a, it's a very curt way of putting it, but I, I can understand the premise of it because you're an artist. You're you're there to create your music and express yourself and the fans saying the fans is such a, a wide net that everyone has their own different opinion and you know if they just want to keep you in that time capsule of what they their their favorite time period or their favorite album you're never going to grow and that can be very frustrating for an artist so yeah i get it you know uh, again yeah. in a very curt way but uh i definitely yeah. get it <laughs> um, yeah. and by the way if, mm-hmm. you, if you don't want me to swear if that's a problem i can i can uh, Keep, I can keep it PG too. Ah, uh, no, nah, you can fucking curse as much as you want. That's fine. All right. Yeah, sure. it's it's a podcast, uh, you know, not controlled by the FCC. So, 
all good. I want you to be comfortable and express yourself however you want, Eric. So, okay. <laughs> if uh, yeah, that makes it more fun. Good, good. That's what that's what it's about here, and also what it's about here because it's obviously a, a Guns and Roses podcast. I mean, we could spend. You know, all day we're talking about each and every record that you've been on with all the amazing artists. But uh, you know, why we we're bringing you here is is Slash. So how did that record come about? You know, of course now he's putting out a new record with Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. Uh, but he found yeah, yeah. he found his his singer. Miles Miles was just one of the singers on that first record. And as yeah. much as I, I like it, uh, you know, Miles, I that that first first one, I mean, obviously the late and great Chris Cornell, and you know the the track you worked on with with Kid Rock and Ian Asbury. I mean, it's just what an album. So how did that how did that idea come to uh, to be, and how did you get involved? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, my involvement came about um, through the the somewhat. Um, mundane process of managers calling each other and stuff like that, you know? And so, um, I think, you know, he had a, uh, a list of people that, um, he was either considering himself or had been suggested to him. And when, uh, he saw the stuff that I worked on, you know, um, thought that I would be appropriate for the record just because it was so diverse, um, on the record. And that's something I've always put a lot of effort in is, is, you know, I, I want to. It just keeps it interesting for me if I can go and make a record with the Dwarves and then go and make a record with Nickel Creek or whatever. You know, and so, um, so he thought that that would really work well. That I've done great heavy rock stuff, and I've also done things that are not as bombastic for some of the artists. You know, like Adam Levine is on there and stuff, where yeah. it's not going to just be all rock you know, just high octane rock music, you know, it's, it, it really needed, um, to have a lot of diversity in there. And, um, and so, you know, I was, I was very, very excited to work with Slash, you know, I mean, I, I, re- I remember when Appetite came out and it fucking changed everything, you know, it was, it had a big impact on everything immediately. And, um, and so I was certainly curious to see, um, you know, to meet Slash and kind of see really what the person Slash is, um, you know, as opposed to the persona of Slash. Sure. So obviously your first time meeting him was working with him. Uh, well, we actually met first. Um, we okay. met at Jerry's Deli on uh, on Ventura. And, um, and, you know, I was just, I was so pleased. You just have no idea what's going to show up. There's so many infamous stories about him um, with all kinds of crazy stuff. And, like, you just don't know what's going to sit down at the table with you. And he's, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, you know, he came and sat down, was, um, you know, very present and articulate and super clear and, you know, clear about what he wanted to do and was just a really friendly, cool, passionate person you know about music and particularly about playing guitar that's the the thing that you know through the years that i work with him that is just inescapable he is at at the most fundamental level he's just simply a human being that just loves playing guitar (laughs) (laughs) and he just does it all the time it's so great you know like 
when he when he was here to record in between recording he would always have a guitar in his hand and he's just playing guitar he's always it's just what he loves and um it's really cool to uh to be around that and you know to have an opportunity to um participate you know with with somebody that's that committed and and has you know pursued something that far you know of of just simply playing guitar and he has take it as far as he has you know he's an incredible musician to sprinkle in some uh some other fan questions i mean uh, i told you jeff from connecticut produced a lot of this uh <laughs> this uh, interview, it seems, but this is coming from uh, Ireland. Um, I, we've called him Mr. Mac. He's going by Mandrew now, which is cool. So, because uh, okay. on the topic of you know talking about Slash and guitar playing, of course, uh, he he writes uh, those solos that we guitarists, because he plays as well, scratch our heads learning. What's it like there, sitting watching them come from the man's fingers, and how written are they, or is a lot of them improvised? He. Um, it's a combination of both. So, so he always will start with a rough idea, almost like an outline of what the structure is. So where he's going to start and what the dynamic arc of the solo is. So I'm going to start down here and I'll probably spend some time up in this register and then I'm going to work my way over here. And then maybe there's like a couple of key phrases that he wants to hit along the way. But every single pass that he did would be a little bit different. Um, so he really is, there is an element of improvisation with every single pass that, that he played. They were never identical. Hmm. And which made things extra exciting for me when I was trying to comp guitar parts together. Because on that first record, um, we did it all on tape machines. And so, oh. you know, I can't... <laughs> I can't like nudge things around and stuff like that. And so, you know, we'd have a few tracks available to, um, you know, put together a guitar solo. And so he'd get maybe two or three passes on the guitar, guitar solo. And if, and we try and narrow it down to like our, our three favorite passes. So if there was, you know, he played it three times and we'd figure out like, ah, this one, not, not much we would use off of this one. So then we'd replace that one and then try and have have more stuff that we potentially use. And then I would take those, you know, maybe three, three or four passes and comp them together on the tape machine um, and come up with one final thing that would work. And, um, uh, and that's, it, it was a, a really fun, challenging process, um, getting all of that to, to work out. Um, but, um, but yeah, it, it's incredible to see. There, there's a lot of moments where, um, you know, he, he just goes to that place where it's all muscle memory. You can tell that you, you can't really play like that in the moment if you're thinking about it. Um, it just, that it just doesn't work that way. And, um, and so, you know, he goes to that, that place where, um, he's just reacting to music. It's just like a reflex and things just come out. And he doesn't really remember what they are, what he played, or where, where exactly his fingers landed. It, they just happen in the moment, you know, because he's been playing just pretty much just playing guitar for the last thirty plus years or whatever, you know. Unreal. And so you, you know, you get to that point where where that just starts to happen. It just sort of flows out of you, you know. 
And it wasn't just the experience with with Slash. It's uh, and and I'll I'll incorporate it with a question. This is from uh, Ray from the UK, our buddy Ray, who helped uh, co-host an episode uh, with uh, Jeff Rouse. Sometimes I, I invite uh-huh. fans on to you know talk to because I'm just a fan. I just happen to work in radio, just to talk to yeah. people that we admire. Uh, so he goes, "Who, if any, out of all the guest singers on the record, did you have your biggest holy shit? This is huge moment." Because I mean, yeah. let me. I mean, like, how can you even pick one? Yeah, I know it's it's hard. Um, yeah, for me, I, I'll narrow it down to two. But I, but first, I would say Iggy Pop. Okay, sure. sure was, yeah, yeah. That that was the most surreal to be to to be sitting in the control room and push down the button uh, for talk back and go like, okay, Iggy, that was pretty close. Can we try another one? <laughs> like, it was, it, it's super surreal. It was very surreal. And um, there were some really funny exchanges. He he's a really really wonderful guy as well. And, and um, he, you know, he uh, he wrote this song. We're all gonna die. And there's a really funny lyric in there um, where he says, "Dance around and pee on the ground." And um, and I remember talking to him, going like, "I." are you sure you want to say pee on the ground? I almost feel like it might cheapen the song a little bit. He's like, Oh really? I, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but I'll try something else. You know, uh, he was super agreeable. It's like, yeah, I can see what you're saying. Let's, let's try another lyric. And so he put another lyric in, which I can't even remember what it was now. And as soon as he did it, everybody was like, no, 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 no. It's gotta be pee on the ground. <laughs> and so immediately put it back. It's like, yep, you're Iggy pop. Let's pee on the ground. And, um, if anyone could sing it, it's Iggy. Yeah, it just it it was right. You could tell that was right. It made sense for him to say that, you know. And um, and then there was there was another really fun moment where uh, towards when we're going into the last chorus of the song, there's like a moment where he he freaks out and screams a little more, and and he uh, he had no intention of doing anything like that, and. And I, I was the one that was like, dude, I, I want to hear you fucking freak out, you know, <laughs> like, let's do that. <laughs> because the rest of the song, he's singing more in that, like, cool, low voice. And mm-hmm. you got to have a moment where you just fucking lose it, you know. And um, and so going through that process of, of, like, nudging him to really, you know, go there and freak out with his vocal was really, really fun. It was a really cool moment for me. <laughs> and I think it's a, it ended up being a really special moment on the song, you know. And uh, the other one was uh, recording Chris Cornell. He, mm-hmm. he was definitely, um, you know, younger and doesn't have as as deep of a history. But man, it's that that guy was incredible, and uh, he was really really interesting as well. That um, very soft spoken guy. Um, you know, um, I, I would say a, a bit even a bit shy at times, um, and. He is just like he's done it a lot, and his voice is like this. It's kind of its own monster. It, it, um, you know, every singer, you know, has to deal with this thing that their their voice, especially singers that um, sing the way Chris Cornell does, where they they're really pushing their voice to its absolute physical limits, you know, and so they don't really know. Sometimes they'll have their voice and sometimes they don't. And, um, and just over the years, he's learned how to um, 
preserve his voice and try and make sure he has the best you know, chance of having it really be there for him when he needs it. And it was really interesting to witness that process. And, and so he got him set up. And, uh, and the first thing he said was, I just have to let you know, this is going to sound real bad for the first little bit here. Hmm. And then, and then it's all, then it'll be okay. But you just got to know that. Hmm. And so what he does is, you know, I guess, sadly, I should say what he did uh, Hmm. was that he would sing, you know, start off with only like half throttle and not come right out of the gate with, you know, a hundred percent of his power. And so, and it was this weird sort of restrained version of what he normally sounds like. And it didn't, and it really sounded kind of odd. And then after the first couple of takes, as he felt comfortable and his voice started to warm up, then he started to like unleash that full power of his voice. And it was fucking unbelievable. He's one of the loudest singers I have ever recorded ever. I mean, it was like, wow all the doors closed to the sound room and it's still just like ringing down, echoing down the hallways in the building and stuff, just through the doors, through the walls. He's an unbelievably powerful singer. It was an incredible experience. Well, I'm, I'm, it's so wonderful that you were able to have that experience. And that honestly might be my favorite song on the record, uh, Promise with, uh, with Chris and, you know, not to, you know, make it awkward for you, but I've mentioned on the podcast just because I, I'm pretty, open about myself because I want to I want my guests to feel comfortable I want my listeners to feel comfortable I don't want to just to be yes no questions or question and answer now so uh, because my my dad passed away the same way that Chris did so I was a, mm-hmm. a huge yeah. uh, Soundgarden fan and Audio Slave fan before but now I just feel so connected to him now and you know, now that I listen to that song it's just it's like I hear it in a different way now so yeah. it, it's cool to get yeah, that, a little bit behind song, the scenes of it. Mm. Yeah, that that song is is a message to his kids. Mm. What that song is? Yeah, he's singing to his his kids. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful song. It really is. This you know don't don't let people take away you know your passion and your fire in life. Don't let them do that to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's it, a he's a really really cool deep, thoughtful human being. He's, he, he was really incredible. Well, it's wonderful that you had that moment. Um, but to, you know, shift, I guess, because I can awkwardly shift because I know, unfortunately, what that their kids feel like. Uh, yeah. Is there any, like, what about, like, how is it working with, with Ozzy or Fergie? You know, any other, because, I mean, I, there's so many, we can go by track by track, but I don't want to keep you here forever. Uh, is sure, there, yeah. If there are any other... Like, did you know all these singers when they came in beforehand, or was it always a, their first experience mm, with you? Like, who- no, I yeah, I, I don't know that I had worked with any of them uh, in advance. What or a actually, great, awesome. Okay, no, actually, Adam, Adam Levine, I'd worked with. Before. Okay, um, I had done, I had done, uh, worked on the previous Maroon Five record, um, but uh, and, and sadly, I didn't get an opportunity to work with Ozzy. He um, oh, okay. has um, an engineer that he was very comfortable with that he'd been working with for a long time and they just had, you know, a rapport and a setup at his house for him to record vocals. And, you know, that understandably was the way he wanted to do it. Okay. So, 
I wasn't going <laughs> to force myself on him. Like, I have to be there because you're cool and I want to do that. <laughs> you know, fuck up your vibe. Um, so, so yeah, his, uh, his guy recorded his vocals and they did a great job. Okay. Um, yeah, I recorded Fergie's vocals and she was great. She's a lot of fun and, you know, um, did a great job. Uh, yeah, cause she, she sang on the, um, the redo of, uh, Paradise City. Right. And, um, you know, she, uh, she was pretty funny. She sort of warned me that her voice is notoriously difficult to record. And, um, and so I was ready for, her. I had like, you know, eight different microphones set up and right out of the gate, you know, we just tried it on a bunch of different mics and found the one that worked the best and, you know, found a, found a good fit for her voice. But, you know, she was very, uh, I, I I always love that when when artists you know even artists like of of her stature you know that um, are just really humble and honest about their what their thing you know and um, and so she was she was really cool about that and uh, I'm trying to think Lemmy was great you know he uh, you know that um, his song. Uh, I think it was called Doctor Doctor or something like that. Doctor Alibi. Um, Doctor Alibi. That's right. Yeah. yeah. What a great tune. Uh, yeah. That I was, love that record. Um, song to song. You yeah. know, it's a new new singer each each time. I mean, it's you know, and Slash, of course, is the, is the constant. It's just a great record. Yeah. Yeah. He. You know. Let me. Um, that song was somewhat prophetic. I guess it. it you know, it was about. Um, his his personal health you know he had some doctors that were um telling him like dude you have to change what you're doing like immediately or you're just gonna die and uh and then he crossed paths with this i think some sort of like shamanic uh you know more holistic guy and he's like no you don't (laughs) you don't need to do that (laughs) you know what you're doing what you're doing is working and if you change everything now it probably cause more problems than anything and uh, so he, he, I think he was uh, fond of that <laughs> assessment and yeah. stuff with it. And so mm-hmm. in, in our session, you know, he, he started the session with a bottle of Jack Daniels and a big old line of crystal meth. <laughs> <laughs> he was doing crystal meth now? All right. Wow. Okay. Ab- absolutely. 100%. And, and looked around the room like, anyone, anyone want to? <laughs> Jesus, like, cool, dude. Christ! <laughs> it's. I thought you were going to say like, like Coke, you know. But now, all right, good. No, God no, bless no. him. God bless him that he lasts to seventy. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, then, did you expect to also perform on the record? Because you were on the Kid Rock track and you were on the Deluxe Edition track uh, with uh, Beth Hart. Did you expect to be, you know, instrumentally on, on the record in addition to producing it? Um, you know, I, I think, um, I'm a little, uh, I'm always a little, um, shy about, you know, inserting myself into people's records when I'm playing the role of a record producer, because, you know, um, it would be very easy to abuse that since I'm sort of in the position of trying to, you know, make decisions about who's going to play what and, to sit there and go like, I know it'd be great for this. I'll, how about me? me. <laughs> That's right. Um, you don't have that ego. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, so I'm, I'm very careful about it when, when I do that. 
Um, and uh, and so it's only if you know it it really really makes sense to to get something done quickly, and it's something I'm I'm very confident that I would be able to do you know, comfortably and, and, uh, and, and really deliver what's needed. You know, one thing that's really funny is, um, on, on the Chris Cornell song, Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a cool little guitar arpeggio part. And we, I I wanted to try and get a more interesting texture for that than having it just be a guitar. And, um, I have, I have a harpsichord at my studio and, um, so I wanted to just double it with harpsichord and it would just sound like, well, you know, like a cool 12 string or something doubling this, this guitar part. And, um, there was a day when I needed to get it done and, um, I had, uh, my, my ex-girlfriend's nephew was in town with some friends and one of his friends, you know, took piano lessons when he was in, when he was younger or whatever. So he had just some basic skills to be able to actually play play a keyboard and i just thought it would just be hilarious and cool and an amazing experience for him to play this part on a slash song um slash wasn't here but um so i had this guy this guy named joe i can't can't remember his last name um this high school kid he played the harpsichord on that song and i believe he's credited on the record um but you know he just had yeah he was a kid that just happened to be in the room happened to be able to read music and play a, a harpsichord. And uh, so I had him do it, you know. <laughs> right place, right time. Just like that's what your yeah. MO is. Right place, right time. Yeah, and just a little sure. bit of luck. Yeah. Oh, too cool. Yeah. Um, when So obviously, you know, we started the conversation about the, the Slash record, about how he's now working with Miles. And it's cool yeah. that he, he's doing it now, even uh, Slash, that he's back with, with Guns N' Roses, that that band is still... Uh, in existence. I was lucky enough to interview Todd Kearns, and even before it was announced uh, that they were coming back, he's like, this is this is going to be going on. We'll figure out when it's supposed to happen, uh, but it's going to happen. So that's cool. So, But when you were recording the record, did you foresee a slash, I, I don't want to say recruiting, but did you say, like, you know what, this singer more than anyone else sounds like this could be a band. You know, it could be a great song, but you know what, Slash, you should do a record with this band. Not to say that you said that, but maybe meant you were thinking that, you know, I want to hear more of that. Did you think that about Miles? Did you think that about even Adam Levine saying, you know what, you guys should, I want to hear more than this, just this one-off? Yeah, I, I was very vocal about that. Okay. When, when Miles came in and sang, um, after that experience, and I think we ended up doing a couple songs with him, um, and he came in just his voice and interacting with him. Um, I was, I was immediately, at, you know, whether it was my place to say or not or whatever, I didn't give a shit. I was like, <laughs> this is the guy you want to be in a band with. Wow. Okay. He's a fucking awesome singer and he's not a crazy person. You know? <laughs> okay. Fair and enough. That was the thing, you know, like, Flashes had the benefit of being with these incredible, amazing singers, you know, but Scott was just tortured with addiction issues, which is just maddening. And we're all certainly well aware of, you know, the, the challenges that he's had mm. trying to maintain a, a, you know, a positive working relationship with Axel. Um, it's been, I think it's been very tough for both of them. And, um, 
Miles is just a beautiful human being and and an amazing singer and and approached things in a much more just rational um, way, you know, where the whole process isn't this sort of like chaotic, neurotic, manic, like, oh, my God, I don't, you know, what to do. And I'm bombed today, but oh, this is amazing. And now everything sucks. And like, you know, singers can be totally crazy. And, um, you know, and Miles, he worked really, really hard. And there were certainly times where he was frustrated, where he was like, I know this can be better. I want this to be better. But he he would acknowledge it in those kinds of terms and and communicate like a like a sane person. You know, even when he was pushing himself and striving to do things better, he wouldn't like punish everybody around him when he was frustrated, you know. And um, so, you know, he's that's the guy you want to be in a band with. He's just awesome. Did you so, ever? Well, which is, I mean, that's awesome that you for you saw that, and then he did it. Whether he took your advice or he felt the same way, I mean, I, yeah, you know. I think it was it was it was pretty self evident. You know, they, they they had some really wonderful chemistry together. So I will say, other than promise, uh, back from Cali, man, that's one of the tracks that he sang. I'm like, this yeah. is, this is a what an awesome track. Like that's just like that yeah. really is one of the, my my favorite things that Slash has worked on, and I obviously love GNR, I love Velvet Revolver. I mean, no, he's that's what's crazy about Slash. It's like every thing he's done, I, I like, and it's not even like he, yeah. it's 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 very weird because it's one thing if it's a singer, you, you know, you're used to that voice, but to, for a guitarist to have that ability is is something else, and that you are able to, you know, make it flow. Oh, I guess that's a, that leads to another question. What when you were putting uh, the tracks together, did, did you have a flow in mind? Like, what made you want to go from one to uh, fourteen, not not including the uh, you know the bonus tracks? Like, what was the the thought process in that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we you know ultimately when we were sequencing the record, and it, you know choosing what songs to record is, is kind of complicated because it, it's not as simple as I have an idea for a song. And this singer is going to sing it and we'll do it. And and then that'll be that, um, you know, that was a tricky record to, to get together because all of these artists have contractual commitments to other entities. And so you would have to get their handlers to, you know, give their blessing and give a, you know, this person performs courtesy of um, whatever their record company is. And some of those were extremely difficult to get. And so there were times in the process where we'd actually even recorded a song and had them sing the vocal on it. And still, you know, their record company was threatening to withhold approval to allow Slash to even use it. And so, ridiculous. Um, yeah, so it was it was difficult, um, you know, to know exactly which ones we're we're actually going to be you know, free to use on the record. And it wasn't really towards the very end when all that got cleared up and it was like, okay, this is, you know, we can actually use the Aussie track and we can actually use this one. And so, um, but, you know, uh, sequencing the record, definitely Slash had a, had a huge um, contribution to that. I made suggestions as well. And, and we ended up in a sequence that um, everybody was happy with. Um, the, the thing that was really um amazing about that particular record is really just the innate musicality of slash because and almost all of the singers commented on this because pretty much every single song started where 
Slash wrote music, you know, which was like a combination of some guitar riff or chord changes or some sort of musical thing. And then he would give it to a singer to, to sing to. And most of the time, the singers would just write vocals to his music and not change the music at all. Maybe there'd be a couple little tweaks here and there of like, eh, maybe this second verse could be shorter or longer or something like that. But there was never a moment where it was like, I don't know if this music that you wrote is something that I can write a chorus to because Slash's musical instincts are so good that everybody was like his, the way he arranges songs um, is so effortless that it's some of the easiest music I've ever had to write to. It just, everything falls into place. It all just feels right. And it was, I was really, really surprised to see that because a lot of times, even within bands themselves, there'll be, you know, a guitar player or somebody in the band that writes some music and then the singer will try and write lyrics to it and then they'll go back and forth and like, no, I don't like this part and we got to change this and add a pre-chorus and all this stuff. None of that. It was like, here's the music I came up with and they're like, oh, cool. This is super easy to write vocals to. All of it. It was really impressive. Hmm. And, and before I, um, I I go on too uh, much further, and I definitely don't want to keep you uh, too much longer. I know you got poopy diapers to change and all that fun stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned, and I like the way you said it, crazy person talking to Axel. I mean, I, I've never met the guy. You know, I and, and I, I related to, and I'll give the flip side of it. You know, with with Chris Cornell or or Scott Weiland with. You know, people have demons. You never know why they act the way they do. And I know I yeah. have my own, so I try to always look at it through those eyes. Did you have? Do you have any experience with Axel, or was that something that, that Slash talked about during making of the record? Like, what's? Or is that just the funny? Were you just being funny? And I'm looking too much into it. Yeah, I mean, I, that comment wasn't even really specifically directed at Axel. Um, I mean, it, that is a long-standing cl- cliche that that lead singers are just kind of crazy. Okay, fair. And, um, and, you know, I, I've definitely had, um, uh, you know, experiences in, in all kinds of different directions. Um, you know, so some of them live up to the cl- cliche and some of them totally are, are not crazy at all and are, are really wonderful. Um, and, and, but I, I do think that there's a reason for it, um, you know, with, with singers and, and, it it sort of goes back to this thing um, that I was talking about with uh, with Chris, where uh, the way he sings, you know, um, it, it just pushes the physicality of what your voice is capable to do so much to the limit that it's it's difficult to know when your voice is actually going to be physically capable to do that or not. And when you go on tour and you have to play 250 shows in a year and go and do every night like five or six nights in a row and get there and sing in front of people and you actually step out on stage in front of thousands of people and don't know if you're going to have a voice or not that night that would make me crazy for sure i mean it's just right on. you know it's a really really unbelievable situation to be put in night after night and and i think it you know it inspires a kind of neuroses and anxiety that um 
you know, is hard to hard to avoid for the singers that really um, are in that boat. You know, um, you know, my wife, Grace, she's for whatever reason, the physicality of her voice. She's never lost her voice, never had a moment where it was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sing or not. And and she's one of the most sane people I've ever met, you know. And so I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, cool. Then I'm, I'm glad I was able to clear that up because I just thought you were being funny about Axel. But no, you're right. That's the cliche about all singers. Um, it, it is. Yeah. Sure. Uh, then actually that leads to um, uh, the last question I'll get to from Jeff. And, you know, we could talk about uh, we can go from there or anything new that you're working on. But he writes, uh, Grace has posted some uh, some photos of the two of you working on new music. So do you know yet what direction the new music will take uh, as compared to your, your last album together, uh, Midnight? Or is it too soon to tell? Jeff did his homework. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, well, we do we do um, know what direction we're going in. And um, what I'll say, because I don't want I don't want to give away too much. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, she was invited to do something that was really really fun. And, and honestly, like Grace and I, we've we've had the luxury, um, you know, over the past year or so, we've we've dipped into the studio a bunch of different times, and so let's 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 try this, let's experiment with that, let's let's see how this feels, you know, um, because for her, it's it's a big question of like, what is she gonna wrap around her voice, you know, and because uh, she can kind of go in a lot of different directions, and. What did happen recently um, was she was invited to participate in um, an album that is a tribute to a really famous re- recording studio called Muscle Shoals okay. Recording Studio. And um, this is where a lot of amazing classic stuff was recorded. Everything from like Aretha Franklin and Etta James to Leonard Skinner to Keith Richards to The Stones to on and on and on and on and on and on. Like, it's insane. And so this thing was like, um, you can pick one of these amazing classic songs that was recorded um, at, at Muscle Shoals and, and do a, a new version of it. And what they were offering was they still have, like the Muscle Shoals studio had the Muscle Shoals Players, which is this amazing, soulful band that played on a lot of these tracks for Aretha and all these people. And... Um, those guys are still around. And so they would set those guys back up in that studio, the same guys in the same studio, and they would play the song again. And then, you know, you have a a new contemporary artist sing on top of it. And so um, we did that experience. And um, at the end of that, I'm I'm not going to get too much into the details, but by the end of that process, um, once we got the stuff from the Muscle Shoals guys and did added and did some of our own stuff to it, we got to the end of it and had a realization of like, this is it. This is this is the direction that we're going to go in for her next record. Right. So, on. I, I appreciate you sharing, uh, you know, as much as you, you did about it. So uh, good job, Jeff, with all the questions. Definitely helping <laughs> helping me out with the uh, yeah. producing the the show. No, it's it's very cool. Every time I, I announce a guest, I want my listeners to be involved as much as possible. Sometimes they come on as a guest co-host. So uh, for you to be as open and forthright with everything has just been uh, 
So uh, super cool. I've appreciated uh, your time. But jumping off the, the grace thing, is there anything else you're, you're new that you're working on that we can look forward to? There has to be because you're you seem to, or is it just all baby babies now? What's going on? <laughs> no, I'm uh, somehow I, I I managed to still stay busy. Um, so uh, there's a new artist that has a couple songs out there. He's a young guy um, that I've worked with on and off for the last couple of years that. Um, is um, ju- is really just debuting now. This kid is insanely gifted. He's w- one of the most gifted singers I've I've had an opportunity to work with. Um, and young guy from Kansas. Um, he sounds like you know um, uh, when you when you hear him sing, he sounds like a sixty year old African American dude, but. Um, he's, he's a skinny little white dude from Kansas, <laughs> and uh, his name is Spencer Lee, and the project is called Spencer Lee Band. There's two songs that are out. One of them is called The Kissing Tree, and the other song is called um, uh, uh, The Wolf, and um, The Wolf was on the Fifty Shades soundtrack. Mm. Um, and so we're, we're finishing up... Um, you know, uh, the rest of his record um, in the next few weeks. And then, you know, he'll be touring all summer and stuff. Uh, so that one I'm super excited about. He's, he's amazing. Um, and then I'm doing another, right now, actually, what I'm doing, um, I'm actually at my studio. I'm, I'm not home with poopy diapers. Um, <laughs> okay. You need a break. You need a break every now and then. Okay. Yeah, just occasionally. Uh, and so, yeah, we're setting up again to do another round of, um, the Gwen Stefani Christmas record. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. And so I did one last year um, where we did a whole record. And so what they're going to do is do five new songs and uh, strip them on and, and uh, re-release. And she did like a Christmas TV special and stuff. And um, it's really fun because she, you know, everybody wanted to do it like um, uh, more of like a classic Phil Spector type sound and production. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so that's what we're doing. It's really cool. You, you know, we got a bunch of people all set up in the room. Everybody plays at the same time, and you get this big wall of sound kind of thing. And uh, it's super fun. So, uh, so that we we actually start recording tomorrow uh, on five new songs for that. Oh, very cool. And I, again, I try to do this in real time. So we're talking on uh, on May sixth. So a lot of stuff to. To look forward to from uh, from Eric Valentine. Like, how can we keep track? Because you're are you you're not on social media, as far as I was able to sleuth. I, I do, yeah, I do a little bit. I I, I have an Instagram called Nerd in Time, um, and so you can check that. Out. I post on there occasionally, and then I do have a Facebook page, and, uh, and so I post stuff on there occasionally. But uh, I'm trying to get better about that. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to post more on my social media. I just don't remember to do it, you know. You're you're better off, but I, I want to add you. So it's nerd and time, or nerd and um, nerd and time. So N E R D E N T I N E. Oh, okay. Nerd and time. Uh, yeah. Now I see you. All right. I got you. Uh-huh. Oh, you got like, a little kid there. Oh, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. And you got him even yeah. in front of the uh, the soundboard. Yep. Very. Yeah, he was hanging out here. Yeah. Oh, very cute. Very cute. Well, uh, Eric, this has been a pleasure. I can't thank you so much. You know, uh, again, congratulations, Mazel Tov, on not just your success, and but your your little baby boy. I appreciate you uh, staying in contact uh, with me. 
You're welcome back anytime to talk about. I mean, I can't even. We haven't even. We talked about maybe half the slash record because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> sure, yeah. You know, uh, but yeah. you know, I want. I don't want to keep you forever. But so, you know, thank you, and uh, you're all, of course you're always welcome back. If you ever want to come back, sometimes I offer this. If you ever want to come back as a co-host and perhaps interview an artist, you know, we can like call it kind of co-interview. That's always an option. I try to be creative with this sure. podcast. You know, that's sure, uh, yeah, yeah. That's that's available as well. Again, Eric, uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much. And just, uh, you know, en- enjoy the rest of the day and just keep making kick-ass music. Cool, man. Well, thank you. It was fun for me. You're, you're very easy to talk to. So uh, it, that, that makes for a good good interview. interview. Good. That's, that's what I want. That's, that's exactly yeah. uh, the, that's what I want to get across. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to make you uh, feel comfortable. So uh, ho- ho- uh, till, till next time, sir. Yeah, for sure. Right on. So enjoy your day. Take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Eric Valentine, uh, appreciate the nice compliment he gave me at the end, and that's what I try to do here on the Appetite for Distortion show. You know, just create a a comfortable environment to kind of tag on what uh, I spoke about in the last episode with uh, Art Tavana and uh, Tim uh, Tricoli. I still have to think of Spicoli uh, from uh, Fast Times at Richmond High before I... I say his last name is just, you know, the environment I'm trying to create and get some really cool stories out there. And because we all have a story to tell, some of them are just more highly elevated, like Eric Valentine or Constantine Amaroulis, you know. Uh, so it's just been very cool. 63 episodes of Appetite for Distortion. And I couldn't have gotten this far without you, the listener. I want to give a shout out to a couple of listeners or a few listeners who. Uh, have been really cool. We've been chatting back and forth. I try to be uh, accessible through, you know, you can message me on Twitter. You can message me on uh, Twitter at the AFD show or on uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash the AFD show. So Roby, Ali, and, and Moro, uh, you guys have been uh, very cool. Some saying some very nice things to me privately. Uh, some fans like to comment on on posts in, in, in which is public. Cool. But some it, it means something's different. When you uh, inbox me privately to say, you know, that you enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, that, that means a lot. You know, that definitely means a lot. That's why I keep doing it. And, of course, I do want to thank, uh, you know, I know it's a bit uh, controversial, but uh, Alternative Nation and Brett, uh, because he has helped me get this out to more eyes and ears. They get some really cool stuff, that uh, cool stories that not everyone knows about. You know, uh, has Eric told these stories before? People want to read about it. People might not know about Appetite for Distortion. People may not listen to podcasts. Some of them go long. So what Brett at Alt Nation helps me do is he listens, he transcribes in context. Yes, the headlines sometimes are a bit funny, but sometimes, uh, I mean, well, it's 2018. You have, there's so many different media outlets to compete with. So you have to get clever with uh, the headlines to get people to, to read your stuff if you want to make a living at it. And uh, also, it, it's you have to fight the algorithms. As we know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook has become, I don't know, a public enemy <laughs> because uh, do, does Facebook suppress some stuff? Do they are they do they promote more things than others? So there's a lot of stuff that goes into you know. Brett and I have had off-air conversations. What he needs to do, and he'll also do me favors. I, uh, like when we, um, you know, my Tommy Stinson interview uh, talked about. 
you know, is is time like how we offer? Like, hey, can I open up for Guns N' Roses with uh, Bash and Pop? Didn't hear back. <laughs> he made an article about that. But I said, you know what? Can you mention uh, Tommy's charity event happening in the Hutton Valley in the article as well? And that's a, a super localized charity event. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. So that's what's great. So I, I've got to meet really cool people, whether, again, you know, Brett, Art Tavana, now Eric Valentine, all these awesome people to have conversations with and connect with, all because of Guns N' Roses. Not directly, indirectly, uh, because, of course, I don't work for them. Uh, I don't get paid. Uh, I just do this for fun. And you guys uh, make it worthwhile. So I really appreciate it. So um, spread the word. Again, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, subscribe and leave a comment. iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and and, and share. Just let people know. We're getting new listeners all the time, people saying that they just find us. So let people know that there's a a really cool conversation outlet for Guns N' Roses fans, and it's not wall-to-wall GNR. We talked about Smash Mouth. We talked about Queens of Stone Age. We talked about Chris Cornell. Just rock. And we talk about, you know, maybe some serious things like depression and addiction. But it all roots back to it all circles around Guns N' Roses. So uh, no matter what your... You know, where you live, what your religion is, what your sexual orientation is, uh, what your first language is. Because I got people from other countries contacting me who don't speak English as their first language. We all have that common bond of Guns N' Roses. So uh, it's been a really cool ride thus far, and that's going to continue. So that wraps up uh, episode 63 of Appetite for Distortion. Again, my name is Brando. As far as the next episode is concerned, well, in the words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy... I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.